this morning worship was just phenomenal. It really was. It was just uh, just amazing, and it just everything went. Even up when Alice came up and she began to share what was on her heart. Um, you know, this week I've been asking the Lord, what was it that that He really wanted me to what, to to talk about? And sometimes when you know I'm in my prayer time, I heard this is what I heard the Lord say. He just said, "Spiritual warfare for the victorious bride." So this morning, we're going to talk about spiritual warfare. And I think some of us may understand what that sounds like. Maybe some of us don't know what that even means. Um, so I'm going to try to go into this, you know, but I'm going to pray because, you know, we need to know this. We need to know that there is such a thing as heaven and there is such a thing as hell. Angels are real. Demons are real. There are demonic forces that are out there that are very real. And we have to, we have to, you know, sometimes we tend to believe, oh, angels and this, but we are, but we don't believe that there's an opposite scale. So, you know, <clears throat> so Father, right now, we just thank you, God, for this word. Lord, and I just pray for a protection over every person in this room, God. We break every hindrance. We break any kind of hindering spirit that would try to come. And right now, Father, we silence the voice of the enemy and we take full authority, God, of the atmosphere. Whatever is not of you, God, that it will leave this place right now. And we thank you, God, that you're, you're going you're gonna to reveal things this morning. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. You know, I remember when I was a teenager, I must have been about 13 or 14 years old, and I had no idea what spiritual warfare was. I didn't. I wasn't involved in church. I mean, I went to church because I was kind of forced to go to church. You know, I went to church because my mom wanted me to go to church, and I grew up in church. <clears throat> and I remember they were, they were going to a camp. The youth group was going to go to this camp. It was called El Shaddai. The camp changed my life. It really did. But my whole purpose of going to the camp was because I wanted to hook up with chicks. I was like, well, man, there's going to be a lot of girls there. I'm going to go and just kind of, you know, I mean, I, I, you know, just being honest, right? Like, I didn't care about going to a church camp, but I heard, well, they got a slide, they got a, they got a trampoline, they got horses, they got, and they got girls. Well, that sounds like a great thing. And I remember when we, we arrived at the church, the church property, <clears throat> The youth pastor said something to us. He said, um, the Lord has been speaking to us in our prayer time, and this camp is going to be different than anything you've ever experienced. He said, this camp is going to be filled with spiritual warfare. And I was like, what is spiritual warfare? Like, what is that? And I remember uh, we gathered in the parking lot, and we, 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 uh, we, we held hands and we were praying in the we prayed in the parking lot to 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 uh, protect us from what was about to happen at the church at the at the at the camp to prepare us and uh, when we get to the camp see I remember uh, we were worshiping in this the morning devotional. And one of the, we were, I mean, it was like, it was going, it was like, you know, 
how great is our God? Everybody's worshiping. It was really, really awesome. And I was just kind of looking around like, man, this is kind of like weird, you know, because I wasn't really, I wasn't into church. But everybody else was like really holy rollers, man. They were like, they're like, oh my God, Jesus. And, you know, they were all in love with the Lord. Like, really, like it was crazy. I didn't really, you know. And all of a sudden, one of the, one of the, one of the youth pastors yells, Satan, you're defeated. And I'm standing next to the youth pastor that yells this out. And all of a sudden, this young man that was in the corner goes like this. As soon as he said, Satan, you're defeated. With this look on his face, he went. And I saw what happened. And I was like, whoa, what was that about? And immediately I felt fear come upon me. I could feel like the eerie, like fear, like what was that? I had never experienced supernatural things in my life. I had never seen a person that was dealing with a demon, being demon possessed. I had never seen any of those things. And some of the people that were there at this camp, I knew. I knew them personally. And what happened was, as, as the camp progressed, these people that I knew began to manifest demonically. I mean, their faces started to contort. Listen, this is real stuff. Their faces began to contort. Their language began to change. Their voice began to change. You know, and I remember that as they were, they were performing a deliverance on one of the young men, you know, they were praying according to the Bible. And they were like, tell me your name. And they were, they were doing everything that the Bible says to do. And then I heard the demon respond. They said, tell me your name. The name of Jesus, I command you, tell me your name. And then the demon, and they responded. And I'll never forget the name. I'm not going to say his name, but I'll never forget the name that came out of that mouth. You see, there is a spiritual realm that is at work at hand. And I'm going to tell you what, that night when I went to my dorm, I was terrified because of what I had seen. Terrified to see people that I know doing backflips and and, and and because, see, there was open doors in their lives. Because, see, the enemy only needs an open door to come in. He needs just an open door. And the open door is just agreement. You know, that's all it is. It's just agreement. And I sat there in my, in my bunk terrified. And I'm in a room with maybe like 60 other young kids. And I'm sitting in my bunk and I'm just there terrified. And they said, lights out. And right before they said, lights out, I saw something walking towards me. And it was walking towards my bed like it was demonic. Walking towards me. And then they said, lights out. I'm like, oh, no. And then it was one switch for the whole building. So it was like, ah. and I just got the blanket put it over my head, and I just began to pray. Boy, did I believe in God then. <laughs> I just prayed and prayed and prayed. But see, 
it is real. I don't share that story because of I'm glorifying the enemy. I share the story because we have to know that there is a spirit that is at work every day. Every day. We must recognize the ways that the enemy uses warfare against us, the bride. We have to recognize the tactics that he uses which is to kill and destroy us. His whole purpose is to destroy you and I. You know, and I, I've always said this to myself and people that I talk to. I said, listen, the devil absolutely hates you. When you wake up in the morning, he hates the way you look, he hates the way you smell, he hates the way you sound, he hates every. he despises you and I. But yet, we're so easy to agree with the very things that he says about us. Knowing that he hates you. If I hate somebody and I say something to you, you're not going to agree with me. Why? Why? Because I know this dude hates me. I know he hates me, so why would I listen to him? Same thing with the devil. He hates us. He hates us. We have to know the plans John 10.10 10 says this, but the Lord comes to give us what? Life and what? Abundant. So even though the devil comes to kill, steal, and destroy, John 10 says, but I come to give you life and life abundantly. That's the word. That's the promise. That's the promise. You know, in war, I love war games, so I play these war games online. But in war, you have to know your adversary, right? In boxing, in football, I mean, football, I know it's not war. But in football, they send scouts to the game. Man, we got to watch out for number 34. Oh, man, that one will take you out. Watch out for this guy. Watch out for that guy. Why? Because those are the secret weapons that they have. In war, you have to know your adversary. You have to know. You have to know the strategy. You have to know the tactics. You have to know what they're doing. You want to know what kind of weapons they have, right? You don't want to show up to a, 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 a gunfight with a knife, right? You want to know what they're using. You know, our, our military, or the U.S. military, when they go into battle, they send out special ops, they have special units that will go into other countries and they'll infiltrate and they spy and they risk their life to come and bring back a report. Well, they've got this, this, and this. So now we know how to effectively defeat our enemy in war. You see, the enemy is our adversary. And the Lord wants us to know the strategy and the tactics of the enemy so he can be defeated in, this, in the warfare that we have. We have to know who our enemy is. So let's turn to Numbers 13 this morning.
we're going to start on verse. Uh, we're going to start on verse one. And the Lord, and the Lord now said to Moses, "Send out the men to explore the land of Canaan, and the land I am giving to the Israelites. Send one leader from each of the twelve ancestral tribes." So Moses did, as the Lord commanded him. He sent out twelve men from all the tribal leaders of Israel from their camps in the wilderness to Paran. These were the tribes of the names of the leaders. I'm not going to read all the tribes and the leaders because it goes on to Reuben and Simon and Judah. So I'm going to go all the way down to verse 16. These are the names of the men Moses sent out to explore the land. Moses called Hosea the son of Nun by the name Joshua. Moses gave these men instructions as he sent them out to explore the land. You see, they're going to go and they're going to they're begin to spy on the land. He said, he can, uh, um, well, I'm sorry, hold on, where was that? To explore the land. Go forth through the, the Negev into the hill country. See what the land is like. And find out whether the people are living there are strong or weak. Are they few or many? See what kind of land they live in. Is it good or bad? Do their towns have walls? Or are they unprotected like open camps? Is the soil fertile or is it poor? Are there many trees? Do your best to bring back samples of the crops that you see. It happened to be the season for harvesting and the first grapes. I'm going to pause right there. So we see Moses sending out the tribes, and he's sending them out to go and to scout the land. Tell me what's in the region. Tell me what's in the land. Tell me what kind of walls do they have? What kind of people do they have? Are they strong? Do they have weapons? What does the soil look like? Is it worth us going to try to take the new land? So he was knowing the enemy. He was knowing the enemy. So they went up um, and explored. I'm on 21 now. So they went up and they explored the land from the wilderness of Zin, far as Rahab, near Lebo Hamath. Going north, they passed through the Negev, and they arrived at Hebron, where uh, Ahamim, Shishai, and Talmai are the descendants of Anak lived. So we know that the descendants of Anak are who? They're the giants. So now they're going into the land, the land of the giants. So now they realize, whoa, okay, we just hit something. Our enemy are the descendants of the giants. Anak lived. The ancient town of Hebron was founded seven years before Egypt, the Egyptian city of Zon. When they came to the valley of Esquo, they cut down the branch of the single cluster of grapes so large that it took two of them to carry it on a pole between them. They also brought back a sample of the pomegranate and the figs. And the place was called the Valley of Esquo, which means cluster, because the cluster of grapes of the Israelite were men cut there. 25, after exploring the land for 40 days, the men returned. So they scouted the land for 40 days. 
before they moved. That means there was a preparation. You see, I, I'm, I'm, we're going to be t- we're talking about spiritual warfare. And I want you to see in the spirit what's what's happening here. There's a transition. They're 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 being they're getting ready to step into to to uh, something new. Um, okay, at 25. After exploring the land for 40 days, the men returned to uh, to Moses, Aaron, and the whole community of Israel at Kadesh and the wilderness of Paran. They reported to the whole community that they had seen and shown them the fruit that had been taken from the land. This is where the report to Moses, this is the report to Moses. We entered the land you sent us and explored, and it was indeed a bountiful country, a land flowing of milk and honey. Here is the fruit that it, 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 it the kind of fruit it produces. So, in they're looking, they're spying the land. They're looking for the, the, the land. They're looking for the good fruit. They go in, they see the beauty, they see the bountiful, they see the, the land of the milk and honey, but yet they're, they're opposed by the giants. So if we take that into perspective, even with ourselves, spiritual warfare comes, the enemy comes to, to, to attack us in the whispers and the very thing because he knows the fruit that we're about to receive. If our eyes can stay fixed on the things of the Lord, we get to receive the giant clusters of the fruit and the goodness of God. We get to receive, we get to uh, be the recipients of that. And it goes on to say in 28, but the people living there are powerful. And their towns are large and fortified. And we even saw the giants there, the descendants of Enoch. How many times when you're about to do something for the Lord, do we allow ourselves to agree with the things of the enemy and we say the same thing? Well, man, I could never do this. I can never account to, to do this. I can never move forward. I can never, you know, step out. Or maybe it's, it's a job. I, I mean, it could be whatever it looks like. Spiritual warfare comes when we begin to agree with the enemy and we speak the same thing. Well, there were giants in the land. You see, the giants come in many forms. The giants in our land, in our land come in many forms. They come as, uh, as, as uh, um, sometimes an anger, bitterness. That's a giant for some people. Not being able to love. That's a big giant. Man, God, why am I always so angry? Why do I hate people? Well, that's a giant in the land. Why can't I, why can't I get past this? Why am, I, why am I addicted to drugs? Why does my family always, things happen? You see, but the people are living there are powerful. There is a demonic force in the realms, and it is a powerful thing. But guess what? Greater is he that's inside of us. There's no demon in hell that has greater authority than you and I. Man, that's the truth. Amen. 
and even saw giants there, the descendants of Enoch. The Amicalites live in the Negev, and the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites live in the hill country, and the Canaanites live along the coast of the Mediterranean Sea along the Jordan Valley. But Caleb tried to quiet the people as they stood before Moses. Let's go at once and take the land. Come on. When you begin to agree with heaven, you don't see the giants in the land. Man, I love what we were reading something about Ohio. It says it, it was, it was uh, the swinging sword. <laughs> the state of the sword. The swinging sword. And they said, let's go at once and take the land, he said. We can certainly conquer it. But the other men who had explored the land with them disagreed. We can't go up against them. They are stronger than what we are. So spiritual warfare, what happens? Where does the battlefield take place? In the mind. The battlefield takes place in your mind. Give you an example. Quick example. I'll just use us. The Lord says, go and move. Go to another state where you know nobody. Just go. But God, I don't know anybody. How am I going to, what do you want me to do? My sons are, you know, they're, they're young. They're, they're still young. And I mean, I can't just pick up and move and leave everything behind. I have no money. I have no job. What do you want me to do? God, I don't even have a place to live. I don't know nobody in the state. He says, go. But God, there's giants in the land. There's giants out there. And, and they're going to they're gonna hurt us. Right? We do that. And there's people that, that understand the kingdom. That's why it's important to, it says that you would gather your tribe. People that love and have the DNA of heaven. That they can be a, vo they can be a voice of heaven to you. A company of heaven. That when you say, listen, I feel the Lord is calling me to do this. That they would say, man, in the name of Jesus, I grab hands with you. And I agree with you. Let's see heaven reign. You need people around you that will cultivate heaven inside of you. Listen, I think we, both, we know all those different kinds of people. I have people that I know that I love. But I can't say nothing about anything because everything out of their mouth is negative. Yeah, brother, man, we, the Lord is doing amazing things. There's a, so much, there's a move of God happening. Yeah, well, see how long that lasts. You know, just everything out of the mouth is negative. That's what was happening here. Other men said they had to disagree. They can't, we can't go against them. They're stronger than we are. So they spread this bad report about the land, about the land among the Israelites and the land we traveled through and explored will devour anyone who goes to live there. And all the people we saw were huge. We even saw the giants. They were the descendants of Enoch. And next to them, we felt like grasshoppers. And we thought so too. And they thought so too. You see, the enemy will get us to a place where he tries to get us to disqualify ourselves. Disqualify ourselves. 
Ephesians 6 reads, for we, not, for, for we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in heavenly places. We have to know who the enemy is. Our enemy is not carnal. It is not a person. It is spirit. It is spirit. It says that, that um, against evil spirits in the heavenly places. The heavenly places is given to us that, there's, that means that there's a difference. When the Bible says in heavenly places, that means there is a difference in the heavens. There's a difference in the heavens. You see, there's a glory realm. That's the place we want to live. It's the glory. It's the presence of the Lord, the glory realms. And then we have the second heaven, which is the soulish realm. It's the realm that, that, that we, we often tend to kind of hang out in sometimes. And we don't mean to. But we hang on the soulless realms, and what happens in the soulless realms? That's the place where our emotion gets involved. That's the place where our mind gets involved. And it also is the place where the demonic activity takes place. It's a place where the demonic activity takes place. Right now, we're in this room. There's a realm of the heavens that we cannot see. There's a demonic realm. We call it the second heavens. I'm going to break this down for us in just a minute. In the glory realms. We see in Hebrews 7.26, which Jesus says that, uh, it says that which Jesus, that Jesus, our high priest, is exalted above the heavens. The heavens again. That means there's more than one heaven. Don't. It's in the word. It's in the heavens. It says that Jesus is the high priest exalted in the heavens, above the heavens. What does that mean? In other words, Jesus is in the heaven above and beyond any other realm possible. There is a heavenly place that Jesus is seated at, that there's nothing above that. Nothing can go beyond that. That term heaven is used in scripture to refer to all three realms. Psalms 104, verse 12, it speaks of the birds of the heavens. It speaks of the birds of heavens. This would be the first heaven picture. That's where we're at right now. It's the it's our earthly atmosphere. This is the, this is the, that's what the Bible's saying. It's a, it's the first heavens. Then we see in Isaiah 13, 10, it says we find the star of heaven and their constellations. And this is a reference to the second heavens, the outer space. This is why we see people dabbling in horoscopes. You see people dabbling in astrology. Did I say that right? Astrology? 
astrology and they're, they're doing the, the tarot cards and they're, they're, they're looking at the eastern gates of, of this opening. And they, that's why it's a dangerous place that there's not a mixture in the doctrine that you believe in because people will say the, 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 that there's a heavenly gate in the second. Man, listen, it's a, that's a lie from hell. When you start getting into astrology, you start looking into horoscope. Listen, if you're a Christian and you're looking at your horoscope, repent. Turn away from that trash. Man, that's a lie. That's the second heaven trash. That's the soulless realm that the enemy tries to get us trapped up into. Tarot cards. All of these practices are demonic, and they come from the demonic realm. And this is the realm where we see spiritual warfare manifested. This is where it happens. That's why at night, some of us are tormented at night. Some of us are having dreams. We're being attacked. We're being tormented. Because we've opened up the door, we've given agreement to the enemy, and we've given them access. But in Revelations eleven nineteen, it describes an opening of God's temple in heaven. And that's the third heaven. That's the dwelling place of the Lord. That's why when you hear God say, come on up to the mountain, come on up here. He's asking the body, he's asking the bride to come higher. Don't get stuck in the, the second realm. Don't get stuck in the soulish realm. Because that's the place. Listen, I, I, I'm going to be transparent. I know what it feels like. I've been stuck in the soulish realm before many times. Where I'm hurt and I'm bothered and I'm angry and I'm bitter. But yet I still love the Lord, but I'm trapped in the mess. And when we're trapped in the mess, it stops us from going higher. It stops us. We can't go higher when we're stuck in the second realm. This morning, the Lord wants us to go higher. You see, the second heaven revelation, that's where they pull from. The witch doctors. The psychics, the colenderos, the brujaria, all those people, tarot cards, they pull from the second heaven revelation. These are false visions coming from Satan, an attempt to deceive God's prophets. And they come in the form of the light. And they use enticing words. Prophets must learn to distinguish between the second heaven revelation. Listen, some people are really gifted. Some people don't even know that they're tapping into another realm. Because the, the devil has done so good disguising it to make it look like it's him. And he uses the right words like Jesus and beloved and the bride and, and, and the light and all these words that they use. And their intentions are right. They really want to. But when they begin to pull from an area 
If you listen, if you're wounded and you're hurt and you're bitter, what you pull from is going to come out with you know, what is it, out of our, our heart, the abundance of our heart, our mouth speaks. So whatever's in my heart is going to come out of my mouth. That's what happens. It doesn't make the person a bad person. It just, it, that, the enemy uses that. <clears throat> we must learn to be able to tell the difference between the revelations of heaven and the second heaven revelation. The third heaven revelations, which are from God, this can only come from knowing the character of God and having our identity in him. We want to hear that we want to function in the third heaven realms that we must know who God is. I'm not asking where you go to church. I'm not asking who your pastor is. I'm not asking what you, how many times you worship because I know people that have been in church their whole entire life that still don't know who God is. It's a truth. So we must know who God is, and we must know his character. And this character will be, that's what we begin to pull from, the third heavens. Spiritual warfare will come in many forms against the bride. But one of the most, one of the most common attacks that I've seen the enemy come in warfare, it comes in the form of fear. Fear. And fear doesn't mean you're like, ah! <laughs> fear comes in many different forms. Here are a couple of ways that, I, that I, uh, I've seen the enemy target the bride. Number one, it's our identity. If the devil can rob us of, the, of our identity, of knowing who we are and who God is in them, then we will no longer function in the authority that God has called us to as sons and daughters. You see, that was the whole plan in the garden. It wasn't about the apple. It wasn't about the fruit. It was about, did God really say? It was about the enemy wanting to rob them of who, of who they were because they were in the garden. They were walking with God. They were in the fullness. And when the enemy came, it says when they partook of the sin, of the temptation, it says immediately the eyes were open and they no longer saw how God saw. They were no longer no 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 Jesus. They were no longer seeing how God saw. Immediately it says that their eyes were open and they saw that they were naked. What happened? Because they then at that moment their the sinful nature took place. And they were taken out of that realm of the glory. And then the enemy said, I got them. Because I got them to identify with who I am and not who they were. Does that make sense to y'all? Fear is a strong attack that the enemy uses against us. Fear will say, you have no freedom. Fear says, you have no power. Fear says you have no voice. Fear says you have no authority. How many times have we said this? 
man, I had somebody the other day come in and they said, I could never measure up. I'm just a regular person. Like, I could never do this. No, you're a daughter of the Most High. You're a son of the Most High. And you're qualified. Three, one of Satan's subtle strategies is to entice us to operate on our own ability. Oh, come on. I'm guilty. Oh, Jesus. How many times have we done that? Well, I got it. I'm good. We don't mean to do it. God's like, listen, I got you. Let me help you. And then we do everything that we can to do what God wants to do. I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to figure it out. And God's like, well, all right. And then we fall. The enemy tries to get us to operate on our own ability. We see in 1 Samuel 17, David as a shepherd boy, he took on a giant in faith and dependency, knowing that the battle was not his, but it was God's. Maybe God's called some of you to the mission field. Maybe God's calling you to start up a ministry. But fear has come in, and he stopped you from stepping into the very thing that God has for you. Well, God, what am I going to do? I don't have finances. I don't have money. I, I don't know how to, I mean, I don't even know how to do this. I feel like I'm disqualified. I only know this much of the Bible. Fear comes in, and it robs you of your voice. But see, David went in there knowing that the battle was God's. Man, we got we to recognize when we say things like, you know what, God's called me to do this, but man, God's got it. He's got it. Man, we, come from, we came from Stryker, and there was all kinds of things that were going on, and it's like, God, you're in control. We just trust it. We cannot believe any other way. Because, see, that's, that's where the warfare comes in. If we agree with the whisper and the lie, guess what? We'll hang up our coats. And then what God wants to do in a region no longer gets, gets to happen, but he'll use somebody else. God wants to use you this morning. He wants to use every person in this room. You've been called. You've been chosen. Fear even stops us from stepping into our blessing. Fear of lack. Many believers, listen, this is a big one. Many believers have spiritual warfare even in their giving. They won't sow and they won't give. We've already done the tithes and offerings, so I'm not going to take up an offering. But listen, they won't sow or give because they have fear of lack. Well, I barely have enough for my bills. I know how much money I get at the end of the month. I know how much money I get at the end of the week. And I know that if I give, I'm not going to have enough. But see, that's where we use our, our carnal thinking. And the Lord's saying, no, you need to trust in me. Trust the Lord. Do we trust in God or do we not trust in God? We, we, we don't give sometimes because fear of lack. 
Sometimes people won't sow because they won't sow because they're afraid. Got really quiet, guys. <laughs> Jesus. That's why I didn't sow back. I remember when I was a young Christian, I didn't give. It took a lot for me to become a giver and a blesser because I saw the fruit and I saw how God blessed. When you bless, the Lord would bring the increase and the abundance. I saw that. But I remember living paycheck to paycheck. And then I remember hearing people say, well, you got to have faith. And then I've, the past, past 20 years, we've been living on faith. And now I sit back and I look at it and I say, you know, God, faith is, is really trusting in the Lord. Sometimes we put faith in the thing that we know that comes at the end of the week. And I'm going to tell you, it's a, whole other, it's a whole other story when you live by faith. I can't explain it. But God provides. Fear. The enemy comes in fear to rob us. Fear of broken relationships. Warfare is the devil's attempt to deceive and divide believers. Since the fall in the Garden of Eden, the devil has tried to bait us with false teachings to lure us into sin, to turn us against each other. He does this to keep us from glorifying God and doing the great commission. He seeks to devour us. 1 Peter 5.8 says this. It says, and it's got a big exclamation mark on it. It says, stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. You see, why do we battle with that? It's because the devil does, does not want us to be the light in a dark world. We are not on the defensive in this battle. We're here to stand against Satan. But standing against the devil does not mean that you just sit there and you just... Just take everything that he gives you. Even Paul, who called the Ephesians to stand, sought their prayers so that he would keep proclaiming the, the, the gospel boldly. You can find that in Ephesians 6.18. His standing meant that he would go faithfully to evangelize, even if it meant it cost him everything. Um. There's times that I have felt like, gosh, how can I do this? Like, I just want to give up. I feel tired. There's times that I just, I'm just going to throw in the towel. I'm going to hang it up and I'm going to move. Because the enemy just comes and bombards us. And it's in those moments that we have to rise up. It says that Paul even, Paul even had to write and say, listen, please pray for me. Pray for me, even if it costs everything. That even when I'm at the lowest of the low, 
when I'm at the very bottom of the barrel, that I can go out and I can evangelize and I can tell people of the good news of the gospel, even if it costs me everything, if it costs my family. Even if it costs everything. People against you? Come on, Jesus, more! That's what, it, that's what we got to do. The battle rages, but greater is he that's inside of you. It doesn't matter what's going on around you. Man, we got a big God. Many of us have gone around thinking that, there's, that our God's a little bitty God and there's a big, big, giant devil. No, man, it's the other way around. We've got a big God, and the devil is under our feet. Come on. So then why do we have spiritual warfare? Why do we have spiritual warfare? (laughs) Satan battles against us every day because you are the witness of Jesus to the world. You're the hands and feet. You're the light. You're Jesus to a dying generation. That's why there's a battle. That's why the enemy tries to come and sweep your legs out from underneath you. That's why he does it. When Apostle Paul described being lost, he often framed it in this terms of spiritual warfare. Every time Paul felt like he was lost, it was spiritual warfare. He was enduring a warfare. You see, non-believers follow the prince of the air. They are blinded by God of this world. They are bound in darkness. And they are caught up in Satan's snare. His goal is to keep us from proclaiming and living out the gospel that sets people free. Listen, when you're in a place of spiritual warfare, you're in a place of being hurt or offended, however that may look, one of the last things you want to do is minister. That's what the devil does. It's like, man, I don't want to go to church. I don't want to hear what that guy is saying. That's the plan of the enemy. He wants to stop us from boldly proclaiming that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And listen, when we agree with the enemy, what happens is we shut our mouth and we no longer speak and we become useless in the kingdom. And the devil's like, ah, got another one. Let me go to the next. He looks, that's what the Bible says. It says that he looks, he seeks whom he may devour. That the word devour means chew you up and spit you out. How many of you like to be chewed up? Nah, man. The offensive nature of this battle demands evangelism and discipleship. Evangelism requires intentional by taking the light into the darkness. Come on. We talked about being a fearless one. We have to become intentional to be the light. 
Discipleship then requires teaching others to understand their position in Christ and to put on the full armor. Listen, it is up to you and I to disciple other people, to teach them how not to fall and to, to, to be entrapped in the spiritual warfare. Because if we're not teaching a generation, then what are we doing? We're just going to church. We need to teach people. We need to position people. Teach them how to put on their armor. Man, let me, let me show you how to sharpen that sword. Man, if you wear it like this, if you hold your shield like this, you get a better angle when those darts come. You teach people. If we don't evangelize, non-believers remain in Satan's kingdom. Come on. If we don't disciple, we send believers into a war unarmed. And both of those things are very, they can end tragically for us. But the good news is we have victory in war. Number one, we must turn to God. And I know I'm speaking to a room full of people who know the Lord. But we must surrender our heart. We must surrender our mind. What does that mean? I believe in the Lord. I trust in the Lord. I believe that, that he was crucified. He resurrected. I'm saved. Yes, I'm going to heaven. But I don't give you my heart, God. But we say we give him our heart. But yet, man, I can't stand my mother-in-law. I can't stand my father-in-law. I can't stand my husband. You see, when, <laughs> but when we trust and we give our hearts to the Lord, we surrender our hearts to the Lord. What happens is we trust Him with everything that's inside of us. We trust Him. We cannot say we're lovers of the Lord if we cannot forgive. Listen, I know that's hard. That's a hard thing to do. Because sometimes the pain is so hard that like, God, you don't understand what they did to my family. You don't understand what they did to me. You don't understand what they did to this person. God's saying, I don't care. My blood is sufficient. My blood covers what they did. They did what they did because they don't know better. So when we surrender our heart, we're saying, God, I give you my heart, God. And even though it's going to hurt me, God, I give it to you. I give you my mind. we got to surrender our mind. Why? Because our mind will keep us in a place of bondage. Man, our mind will drive us crazy. Man. We must turn to God, surrender our heart, surrender our mind. And we must allow God to work in our life. Because if we do, this is the place that we'll see his glory and we'll experience true freedom. Because, see, forgiveness is not about the person it's about you. Your forgiveness 
and you forgive, it's not about the person, it's about you. Freedom and glory. 2 Corinthians 3.16 says, but, for, uh, but whenever someone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Wow. When someone turns to the Lord, it says that the veil is taken away. For the Lord is spirit, and wherever the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. If you don't feel free, then there might be a problem. There's freedom. So all of us who had the veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord who is the Spirit makes us more and more like him as we change into his glorious image. Number two, we have to know the power of God. You know, my wife told me something yesterday, and she brought a really good point. We had somebody bring the flags. Probably most of y'all didn't know that we got those little flags in here now because they were kind of hidden today. But see, those are weapons of warfare. Every time those flags are waved, every time you lift up your hands in worship, every time you, you usher in, Every time you cut, every time you stomp, these are weapons of warfare, and you are you are slicing over the you're slicing open the atmosphere. That's warfare. You get the worship going, and you got the flags going, and their banners are flowing. They're ripping through the atmosphere. I'm going to tell you what you'll see revival. Why? Because the atmosphere atmosphere gets split open. That's a form of spiritual warfare. But we have victory in that. There's victory in it. There's victory in your dance. There's victory in your intercession. There's victory in your worship. And you're singing, you're shouting. Jesus. In the intercession, it breaks open the strongholds of a place over a people. It pierces the barriers, and it prepares the atmosphere for the heavenly realms. Listen, I say this to you guys. If you guys come in here early, and you're just worshiping by yourself before anybody gets here, and you're praying up and down, you are preparing the atmosphere for what God's going to do in that day. That when everybody comes in, there's an atmosphere of heaven that's already established that we get to step right in. That's what the intercession is. Jesus. I want to encourage you this morning. See, the battle's been won. The battle's been won. Jesus. Holy Ghost. See, I can feel the glory 
of the Lord. You see, it's really easy for us to step into that third heaven place if we allow ourselves to step right in. And my prayer this, this morning is that, that every single one of us will be able to step right into that place. Jesus, Holy Ghost. What I want to do this morning is uh, I felt the Lord gave us this word because there was some, some of us just needed to, to break out of the mold. And I don't want you to, don't think with your head this morning. Allow the Spirit of the Lord to lead you. But if you have found yourself in a season, maybe it's a week, maybe it's a day, maybe it's two weeks, maybe it's a month, maybe it's been a year, I don't know. But if you have found yourself in a place of spiritual warfare, because listen, the truth is, if we really know the battle has been won, and we know the Lord, and we have our identity in him, we won't even have no warfare. Because the battle has been won. It's finished. Sometimes we disqualify ourselves. We, we put the most condemnation on ourselves. If there's anybody in here this, this morning that will say, listen, I've been battling spiritual warfare. I've been battling, man, this thing has just been on me. And I just can't seem to break it. I just can't seem to overcome it. I don't know what it is. I want you to just come up, and I'm going to pray with you. We're going to pray with you this morning. Those that are watching as well. Jesus. Because, see, nobody needs to battle. Nobody needs to battle. Jesus. Thank you, Father. Oh, praise God. For I thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Because, see, there's breakthrough. There's breakthrough in humility. There's breakthrough. So, Father, I thank you, God. For those who are all okay, can you please extend your hand? Let's pray. Let's pray for our brothers and sisters. Those that are watching online right now, we pray for you. Father, we just thank you, God. Father, that you would just, you would give us strength this season, God, to hear and see you, God. Father, we speak purpose and we speak destiny, God, right now, Lord. And I come against every lie of the enemy, God, right now. And I break every assignment, God. And I just, even now, Lord, every assignment, I break every agreement that we've given to the enemy, God, right now. In the name of Jesus, we slice and we sever the head of the enemy, God. We slay the giants in the land this morning, God. Right now, Father. We shut the mouth of the enemy. Right now, devil, you have no authority. You have no power in the name of Jesus. I speak dreams and visions, heavenly dreams, heavenly visions. Heavenly encounters, God, right now, Lord. I speak the reconciliation, God. I speak the restoration, God. I speak joy this season. 
joy, 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 unspeakable joy. Right now, Father. Lord, even now, for those that even didn't come up, God, I just pray that they receive it where they're at. Right now, Father. I ask that you would even redeem the time, God. Time that was lost. Right now, Father. In Jesus' name.